when you hear the name Jonah, what comes to mind? My guess is, for most of us, you probably think Jonah and the whale, right? Or Jonah and the big fish. Um, children's Bible story books almost always include the story of Jonah because of the exciting moment when Jonah is swallowed by this great fish and then spit up into dry land three days later. And, and on this next slide, you see, you know, just these cute children's books, right, that talk about Jonah and the whale with that cute purple little whale there uh, talking about Jonah. But here's the thing. If you actually read the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the great fish is actually only mentioned in three verses in the entire book. And the, and the book is actually 48 verses long. And so as exciting as that big fish is, Jonah, the book of Jonah, is actually much deeper and more complex than just a simple children's story. And what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks is looking at the book of Jonah. And I'm calling this sermon series, Jonah, the Runaway Prophet. Because as we're going to see in today's text, Jonah is not a great example of a faithful prophet of God. Uh, in fact, throughout this book, Jonah is continually running away and rebelling against God in different ways, but God never gives up on him. And actually, a central theme of this book is the amazing mercy and grace that we just sang about that God shows to sinners, to wretches like us. Uh, we're going to see that in both the way that he shows grace to the people of Nineveh, but also even to Jonah himself. And so today I'm going to focus on just the first four verses of this book. And my sermon title this morning is Running from God. We're going to see how Jonah runs away from God and how we often do something similar in our lives, how God responds to this runaway prophet, which points to how he often responds in our lives as well to moments when we are running from him. So our text today is Jonah chapter 1, and we'll be looking at just verses 1 through 4. So hear God's word to us this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, this, this short book that, that reveals the this, this story, the account of Jonah's life, we pray that you would speak your word into our lives today too, um, to, to confront us with the ways that we may be more like Jonah than maybe we even want to admit, um, and that you would speak of your mercy and your grace to us in the midst of that too. So give us listening ears now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to look at uh, three things in these four short verses and how those three things connect not just to Jonah but also to our lives today. 
Uh, so we're going to be looking at God's call, and then at our running from God, and then finally at God's merciful storm. So let's start with, with God's call. Uh, verse 1 of our text actually begins with a very familiar phrasing that we see in a lot of the prophetic books in the Bible and a lot of the stories of God's prophets. Uh, verse 1 there says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And that phrasing, the word of the Lord came to, and then the name of the prophet, actually occurs 112 different times in the Bible where God speaks to one of his prophets. So it's a common thing that God is calling his prophets, the word of the Lord came to. But what comes next is very different. What God actually calls Jonah to do is very different from what God typically called his prophets to do. In verse 2, God tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the call to preach against wickedness was not a, an uncommon one for a prophet, but what was uncommon is where God tells him to go. Because normally, God called his prophets to speak against his own people, to Israel, to Judah, to call them to repentance for their idolatry or their sin. But here, God calls Jonah not to preach to the people of Judah, not to the preach to the people of Israel, but he tells him to go to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, this huge city, and preach against their wickedness in their city. Prophets also sometimes would speak against the wickedness of their surrounding nations, but they would do it while they're in Israel. But here God tells Jonah to go to the, prophet, to, to the people of Nineveh and preach about their wickedness. And we know actually from history that Assyria was incredibly wicked. Uh, one historian called Assyrian history as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. They were violent. They were cruel um, to their enemies. And, and they obviously did not worship the God of Israel. And so for an Israelite prophet to walk into their city and begin preaching about their wickedness, that sounds like a suicide mission. In fact, um, in his book on Jonah, the prodigal prophet, Pastor Tim Keller says that this would kind of be like a Jewish rabbi standing in the streets of Berlin in 1941 calling on Nazi Germany to repent. That's how extreme it would have been. You know, how, do you, how long do you think that that rabbi would have lasted in the city of, of Berlin, 1941, preaching against the Nazis? So why would God call Jonah to do this? Well, the primary reason that God called prophets to proclaim the wickedness of a people to them was to call them to repent, to turn from their wickedness. And, and in fact, the job of a prophet was to warn the people of God's judgment with the hope that they would turn away from their wickedness and be saved from their judgment. And so that's exactly what God is calling Jonah to do, to go to Nineveh, preach to them about their wickedness, not just to condemn them, but to actually give them the opportunity to repent, to turn from their wickedness and be saved from God's judgment. And we're going to see later in the book that that's, that's actually what happens when Jonah finally gets there. But as you think about this call to Jonah at, at this moment, as he hears this call from God, that was an incredibly challenging thing for Jonah to be called to do. 
Because the Assyrian Empire, not only were they just a wicked empire, but but they were a threat to the nation of Israel, where Jonah was, the, the northern kingdom. And so you can imagine Jonah wondering, why in the world would God want to give those wicked people a chance to repent and be saved? They're our enemies. They do horrible things. Why would I go to them? Can't can't I just prophesy judgment against Nineveh while I'm safe here in Israel? And just, you know, I'll call, I'm going to say that God's going to condemn them, but, but why go into their city? Why give them a chance to repent? As we're going to see later in the book of Jonah, this is exactly Jonah's attitude. And it's the exact attitude that God wants to challenge in Jonah that part of the reason he's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to them that they would repent is because he's wanting to challenge Jonah's attitude toward the Ninevites. See, Jonah had no love for the people of Nineveh. But God did. And God wanted to transform Jonah's heart so that he would see the people of Nineveh like God sees them. But in order to do that, God needed to expose Jonah's own sin, his own brokenness, his own prejudice and arrogance that he felt against the people of Nineveh, thinking that they're way worse than he is. And so God actually, by giving Jonah the specific call to go to Nineveh, it is a way that he is bringing out this attitude that is in Jonah's heart. You know, this is often how God works. That oftentimes, the the thing that he calls us to do, the way that he calls us, it is to bring out our own brokenness in the midst of it. Here's another example of this. In the scripture reading that we heard earlier in the service from Mark chapter 10, this rich young man goes up to Jesus And he asks him about inheriting eternal life. And so Jesus, he lists some of the Ten Commandments there. But he specifically includes the commandments that are a lot easier to think that you've kept. He talks about do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Right? Those, oh yeah. And the the young man says, oh, I've kept all those since I was a boy. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything. But the young man didn't realize that what was actually keeping him from eternal life, the thing that was keeping him from God, from giving his life fully to God, was actually his wealth. And that is exactly what Jesus pinpoints when he calls to this man. In in, in Mark 10, 21, Jesus tells him, okay, you've kept all those laws, But one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. God gives this very specific call to this particular man to sell everything, give to the poor, and then come follow him. And what Jesus is doing there is he's pressing in on what he knows is the idol in this guy's heart. That this man, he is controlled by his wealth. That that Jesus knows that this guy, he needs to let go of it. 
Because that is what's keeping him from fully trusting God. God knew that what was keeping Jonah was his disdain for these people in Nineveh. And so that's what God presses in upon him. That's why he calls Jonah to go there. Because he's trying to bring out this brokenness that's in his heart. So here's a question for you. What is God calling you to do? Where is he pressing in on you in your life? Now, when I talk about God's call in your life, I'm not just talking about a dramatic call to, to move, pick up and move and, and go to a, a whole new city like he does to Jonah, but I'm talking about very simple, basic things that can sometimes happen in our lives. Where, what is God bringing into your life? What people or situations is God bringing into your life that he's wanting to use to maybe draw out your brokenness and, and to actually want to transform you? Maybe he's calling you to love someone who you really don't like. Kind of like what God was calling Jonah to do, right? To go to these Ninevites that he didn't like. Is God calling you? Is he bringing someone into your life that, that's, who's really annoying to you? Someone who you completely disagree with politically or in some other way or or maybe someone who you're having a really hard time forgiving, did something. It's God calling you into a particular relationship there that, that's bringing out your resistance. Or maybe is God calling you to let go of something that's taken on an unhealthy role in your life, kind of like wealth had for that rich young man in Mark 10. Think about that for a moment. If Jesus were to look at your life and say, one thing you lack, you need to give me this. You need to let go of that. What do you think he might say to you? Let go of trying to please everyone all the time. What's behind that? Why do you feel like you need to please everyone all the time? Let go of your bitterness and your victim mentality. That bitterness that is, that is just poisoning you. The sense of entitlement, the sense of, of grievance that you're feeling in your heart. Let go of it. Let go of your need to always be right to always have the last word in the conversation. Let go of your need to be the center of attention, to always have it be about you. Let go of your addiction to that thing that you, you think that you need so desperately to feel better about yourself, whether that's food or alcohol or pornography or overworking or shopping or social media or entertainment or that hobby. What is it that God may be putting his finger on in your life and he's wanting to deal with that particular area? What is your specific call to Nineveh that God is calling you to face? 
Well, when we experience God's call to face something in our lives that, that he's wanting us to face, some brokenness that sometimes may be buried underneath, but he begins to press on it and it starts to come out. And what is often our response when that happens? Well, if we're honest, we often respond just like Jonah did, which is to run in the opposite direction. So let's take a look at our running from God. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. He wants to deal with something in Jonah's life by calling him to go to Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? Well, verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Nineveh was to the east of where Jonah was. So where does Jonah go? He goes as far west as he can go, which is where Tarshish was. God tells him to go to Nineveh, which would involve traveling over land. And so Jonah says, I'm getting on a ship. I'm traveling over sea. Basically, whatever God tells him to do, Jonah does the exact opposite of what he's wanting him to do. And the text makes it very clear by saying that Jonah ran away from the Lord, that he sailed to flee from the Lord. Now, of course, we know there's no way that Jonah can actually run away from God because God is everywhere. And Jonah probably knew that to some extent too, right, being as a prophet of God. But what is Jonah actually running from? He's running away from God's call in his life. He's running away from what God wants to show him in Nineveh. And how often do we do the same thing? One of my neighbors has a tendency to complain a lot. Um, she has kind of a, a grumpy disposition in general. And over the years, many of my interactions with her have usually involved either her complaining about something going on in, in her life, or sometimes it's been complaining about something that I've done, which oftentimes I haven't even realized that I've done. And so I have to be honest that I try to avoid her as much as possible. And I know that's not a Christian attitude to have, and I feel particularly bad because I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to do that, right? But I have to admit that I have a hard time wanting to actively love that particular neighbor. And I have a confession to make. There are even times when I am getting ready to walk our dog, Willow, and if I look out the door and I see that she's outside, I wait a couple minutes until she's gone, and then I go out and walk our dog. <laughs> Again, I'm not proud of this, but I'm guessing that maybe some of you could relate to something similar. I don't know. Now, I know that God wants me to actually love that neighbor. And I know that Part of what he's doing as he's, he's wanting me to love the neighbors, he's also wanting to point out and acknowledge my bad attitude toward her in my heart and maybe to be willing to examine why it is that I feel that way. 
And yet, what is my response so often when God's wanting to, to bring that out and, 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 and deal with it with me? I run the other way. I want to just avoid it, right? I don't want to show love and understanding to her. I, 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 don't, I don't want to face what's underneath my bad attitude. And so it's much easier, rather than being confronted with that, to just avoid her completely because then I don't have to deal with what's going on underneath in my heart. But by doing that, when I avoid her, I'm actually running away from God. Because I'm running away from what God is calling me to do, and I'm running away from what God is wanting to teach me about myself through that particular relationship. When Jesus called the rich young man, to sell his possessions and to give to the poor and then to follow him? What is his response? Mark 10, says, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. When Jesus called this man to, to give up the, this one thing that was really keeping him from actually following Jesus, that was keeping him from fully trusting in God, he couldn't do it. And what did he do? He ran away. He went away sad. He walked away from Jesus. He, he chose to hold on to his wealth and miss the chance to follow the Son of God. How often do we hear Jesus called to leave behind something that we're clinging to for security or for our sense of worth, but we just can't do it. You know, maybe we, we walk away from that addiction for a couple days or a couple weeks or, or maybe even a couple months, but then we find ourselves right back in the thick of it. You know, we, we try to let go of that bitterness or resentment about something that happened in the past, and, and we think that we've let it go and we're doing okay, but then something triggers us, and all that bitterness comes flooding back, and, and we get trapped in a pity party, and, and we're seething with anger all over again. And here's the truth, brothers and sisters. The Bible says that the default setting in our heart is to run away from God. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned, when God confronted them, what did they, when they recognized they, had, they, they, they wanted to run away. This is the heart of sin, what the Bible calls sin. And so often, just like Jonah, we, we hear what God wants us to do and we do the exact opposite. And here's the thing. At the heart of our running from God is one thing that we don't trust God. What, what did it reveal that Jonah was unwilling to go to Nineveh? It meant that Jonah didn't trust that God could have a good reason for him to go to Nineveh. Jonah, in his own mind, said, that seems ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And so I'm going to choose what I think is best. He didn't trust God. That rich young man, 
as Jesus tells him, give up your wealth. Trust me to provide for your needs. What did the young man say? I don't trust you, Jesus. He didn't trust that Jesus would take care of him if he actually did give up his wealth. I don't trust that God has something good for me in that difficult relationship with my neighbor. Do I trust that actually God has something good for me there? We don't trust that that God will be able to sustain us without that thing that we think we desperately need and we're clinging to. So how does God respond to Jonah's running away from him? And how does he respond from our running away from him? The last thing I want to look at is God's merciful storms. God's merciful storms. Jonah, he boards the ship bound for Tarshish. He's running away from God's call. And what happens? Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God sends a storm. Now, we're going to look at the specifics of what happens in the storm next week because there's a lot of depth to the interactions that happen between Jonah and the sailors. So we're going to be kind of looking at that next week. But what I want to kind of end with today is thinking about how is this storm actually merciful to Jonah? How is the storm that God sends actually mercy to him? Well, think about this. God could have just let Jonah go all the way to Tarshish and live out his days never visiting Nineveh. And Jonah would have loved that, right? But God loved Jonah too much to let that happen. Because God knew that if he ran away from him and he went to Tarshish and he never faced Nineveh, that Jonah would have been lost. He never would have dealt with the sin that God wanted to deal with in his heart. And so God mercifully kept Jonah from getting to Tarshish. He mercifully sends this storm to stop Jonah in his tracks, to bring him back to himself. It's it's like the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15 about the one lost sheep who wanders off on his own. And what does the shepherd do? The shepherd goes and he looks for that sheep. And he's going to look until he can find it. And when he finds the sheep, it says that, that he takes the sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it back to the flock. That's what God is doing with Jonah here. He's going to find this runaway prophet and he's going to keep coming at him because he loves him too much to just let him be lost. He's going to bring him home. But the way that God does that is through this storm. And what we're going to see next week is that it is this storm that confronts Jonah with the fact that he is running away from God. It's the thing that confronts Jonah with with what's happening in his heart. 
It's the way that God is going to begin to turn Jonah around to bring him back to himself. Sometimes the way that God comes to us and rescues us from our running away is also through a storm. And sometimes that storm, it comes as a natural consequence for our sin. Now take the example of of an addiction. For most people who are trapped in an addiction, eventually that addiction will lead to a natural storm in their life whether that is problems in their marriage that, that, has, that comes because of that addiction or, or financial troubles or broken relationships with friends or family, or sometimes it's the internal storm of guilt and shame. And that storm, when it happens, we don't like it. And we think, God, why are you bringing this storm into my life? But sometimes it takes that storm to wake us up to the damage that's being done by that addiction. And it can be the first step toward God rescuing that person from the addiction. And the same thing is true, not just for addictions, but for any ways that we're we're running from God. A few weeks ago, I was about to walk my dog, Willow, And I went out the door, and around comes the corner, comes that neighbor that I'd been avoiding. And I got hit with a storm. She unloaded on me about stuff that was going on in her life and also some other things that, that, some stuff that we'd talked about before. And in a lot of those previous conversations, my response was to get very defensive but for some reason, as, as I just saw her just kind of venting all this frustration and anxiety and it was all spilling out of her, I actually somehow in that moment was filled with compassion for her as I just saw that, man, she's so trapped in, in this anxiety and this stress. And, and I also knew about some other stressful things that were happening in, in her family And so somehow in that moment, God gave me the ability to to kind of empathize with her and to assure her of my help in that particular situation. Now, I don't know if, if what I said made any difference to her or not, but I know that for me, God used that stormy encounter to confront me with my avoidance of her and to confront me with my lack of love toward her, and he used it to lead me to repentance. And so although I didn't enjoy that particular conversation very much, it was actually God's mercy that I ran into her because God used it to show me how I had been running away from him, and he used it to bring me back to him and to actually give me compassion for her. Now, I want to be clear about one thing, that I'm not saying that every storm we have in our lives is a direct result of our sin, right? That that doesn't always happen. The Bible's very clear about that, that, that it's not that everything that bad happens is always because we've sinned in some way. In fact, sometimes the storms that hit us in our lives are actually because of the sin of someone else. That they've sinned and it's affecting us. That actually is, is the case with the sailors, Right? These sailors get hit with the storm 
it's not their fault. It's Jonah's fault. And that's what ends up, it, hurt, it hurts them. And there are other times where, where storms in our lives, they're just part of living in a broken world. It's not because you've sinned. It's not because someone else sinned. It's just because we live in this broken world that, that has troubles and they're not the direct result of any particular sin. But here's the question I want to leave you with to think about is that when you are going through a storm in your life, when, when something hits you in your life, the first question I want you to think about is, how does God want to use this storm to shape me? Instead of just saying, oh God, why do I have to go through this? Ask that question, how is God actually wanting to shape you through that storm? And a related next question is, is this storm revealing a way that I have been running away from God? Is the storm, is it coming actually maybe as a consequence of my sin or a consequence of my running away from God? Is there something that, that's, that, bring, that God's bringing up in your heart as you face the storm that maybe he's doing exactly what he did with Jonah, which is to be merciful to you by giving you the storm to open your eyes to the ways that you've been running from him? God loves you too much to let you just run away from him and live in rebellion against him. He loves you too much for that. He loves you too much to let you be just trapped in your sin and in your idols. And if it takes a storm in your life to wake you up to where you're heading, then that storm is God's mercy to you. It certainly was for Jonah, as we're going to see. But the amazing thing that we know today is that God himself experienced the ultimate storm. And the storm that he experienced was not because of his sin, it was because of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he was facing the full weight of the storm of God's judgment that you and I deserve. He took that storm out of love for us. And because he did, we can be forgiven for running away from God's call. We can be forgiven for not trusting God enough to follow his call God wasn't finished with Jonah even when he ran away. And guess what? The good news, brothers and sisters, is that he's not finished with us even when we run from him. And that's how we know that he's not finished with us because he was willing to go to the cross to show us mercy, to show us love. And so look at the mercy and the love of God expressed on the cross and know that any storm that he's sending into your life He's using it to draw you back to himself. That it too is an expression of his love and mercy. And he is with you in the storm as well. So stop running from him and start running to him. Run to him into his arms of love and mercy. Let's pray.
Lord, we confess that we are often like Jonah. That we hear your call in our lives and we don't want to follow it. And sometimes you're, you're pressing in on an area in our life that, that we don't really want to look at. We don't want to face our own brokenness. Jonah was much more, ang- he wanted to focus on the Ninevites' brokenness, but he didn't want to face his own. And, and Lord, we are so often like that. We pray that you would forgive us, God, for the times where, where we reject your call, where, where we run away, we just want to avoid even what you're wanting to bring up in our hearts. And Lord, we deserve for you to just leave us, to leave us, to, to run away from you and, and be banished from you forever. You deserve us to, to be lost in the storm, and yet you don't give us what we deserve. You came into our storm. You bore the storm of, the, of judgment for us and to forgive us, to cleanse us, to free us. And, and Lord, you, you sometimes bring those storms in our hearts to, because you're, you're doing it out of mercy for us, to rescue us, us who are just lost lambs. And so help us, Lord, to embrace whatever you're doing, to want to rescue us, to see it as your rescue, to see it as your mercy, and to watch what you want to do in the midst of that to bring us back to yourself, to be transformed. We invite you to do that in our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen.